Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And college graduate Xavier Trish at Xavier hey. underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. And today we're going to be talking a little bit, uh, of course, about the transfer portal, like we always do. And um, but also right after we finished recording, uh, we had uh, Nick Saban make his comments and then Jimbo Fisher respond to those comments. And that was a big part of uh, the last week of news in college mm-hmm. football. So we'll, mm-hmm. of course, be talking about that. And then we got some week zero and week one lines. So we will be discussing those as well. But uh, Nick, you know. Jimbo versus Saban, it, it was all over, you know, anywhere. Uh, it was number one sports media coverage over the last week. Uh, Nick Saban went on to complain. Basically, he was complaining about NILs. And, you know, people don't like change. I understand that. Blah, blah, blah. Not a surprise that, you know, one of the oldest, most successful coaches in the country doesn't want things to change from the way they were. What a shock. But, he referenced uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies as buying their, uh, you know, class that, of recruits that they brought in. He also mentioned that, uh, you know, the the kid for um, is it Jackson State? I always screw up which Dion school it is. Yep, Jackson, Jackson State. State. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that um, you know they paid their number one recruit a million dollars to to get him there. So he's just he's burning a lot of bridges right now. I know a lot of people think, well, you know, how much longer is Saban going to be around? He's 70, you know, uh, maybe th- he's just getting a little fast and loose because he knows he's not going to be sick around much longer. But whenever a coach says something like this, it's not good for the overall sport, I would say. You know, I know he wants things to come back his way, but one, he made enemies, and he has since apologized, which I don't think, you know... I don't think Jimbo is going to uh, be super happy about an apology after the fact or anything like that. But, um, you know, this is it's uh, a major part in today's game. What are your thoughts on what Saban said and how Jimbo responded to him and, uh, you know, the outfall that we've had from this so far? So I I did read up a little on this (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because I knew we would have to talk about it. You know, the college football world has been talking about it for a week or more. Um, but I just, I really don't care about that sort of stuff. <laughs> like it, this is so far on the, the very low end of my priorities for college football related stuff. Um, I, I understand that a lot of people are interested in it. I you know certainly don't begrudge anybody who's interested in it or anybody who, you know, discusses it or, or uh, writes about it, talks about it, whatever. I, you know, I, that that's that's perfectly fine if this is your interest. It's just not for me, really. Um, but I did read up a little bit because I just didn't want to be completely ignorant to what happened. Um, and you know, it 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 sounded like immediately people were thinking the as you mentioned, you know, Saban's seventy and. You know, there's been speculation for how many years that, oh, this this might be his last year. Um, and 
these comments, sort of the, the first reaction I saw to it was, oh, well, now, you know, he's maybe got one foot out the door or he knows he's not going to be around much longer. Um, so he's just, you know, saying as, uh, uh, you know, what comes to he's, he's he's letting loose right now, basically. Um, that, I think, cooled a little bit. I think maybe it just, you know, uh, one of the other uh, uh I guess a little bit of context or, or uh, reasoning behind perhaps where this might've come from. Uh, he's just been a bit frustrated that apparently, and it, and it makes sense that these NIL collectives, the things not, not that it's Jackson state or Texas A&M paying these guys, but there are outside groups that have come together, you know, have uh, money set aside for, certain things. And uh, it seems that, you know, Saban's getting a little bit frustrated that it, it seems that those types of outfits are luring recruits in. And it's not a guy who has, you know, signed to play at Texas A&M or, or wherever it is. And then at that point, then start talking, you know, the NIL, getting the deals together to kind of capitalize on their marketability as a college athlete. And, you know, he, he mentioned, Oh, we were second this year and Texas A&M was first. And so, you know, they've lost, you know, they're, they're certainly not as dominant as they once were uh, in the national recruiting rankings. Georgia has been a part of that Texas A&M this year and, and, you know, a few staggered throughout, but uh, reading a little bit more into it, it's perhaps looking ahead at, at 2023 where it, it at least at this point seems to be making a little bit more of an impact because uh, I believe Alabama's only got what three players committed to the 2023 class. <clears throat> and it sounds like there's some, uh, you know, reporting that guys are taking a, visits to Alabama uh, take a look around, you know, talk to the coach, whatever. Oh, this is great, but what kind of NIL deal can I get? It's kind of one of the first things that that comes out with, and understandably so, they're bringing in, you know, five-star, high four-star guys, the best of the best. Theoretically, those are going to be the guys who are, uh, you know, the, the I guess, worthy of getting these big NIL deals. And you know, maybe there's just not the infrastructure or whatever at, at Alabama right now set up to, um, I guess, capitalize to to keep those guys or entice those guys in an NIL world. I don't know. Um, so I, I understand, I guess, uh, that this is a, a certain topic of conversation People have interest. People like, you know, the conflict of, of these two guys who've been going head to head for a long time, worked together uh, previously. Um, certainly we're in a quiet period for the most part in, in the college football uh, cycle of things. And so, you know, we'll be talking about this and, and uh, maybe looking for some other topics uh, that'll carry through to the SEC spring meetings next week or uh, yeah, I think next week. SEC media days in July. And then of course, when these two teams meet in October, I mean, we're going to be here because this. of the Aggies beat them last year. Exactly. I mean, yeah, this Both. is easy headline fodder. This is sure. easy headline fodder. This is shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, you know, when it comes to how much this is going to be talked about, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I understand it. I'm already tired of it. We'll get, continue to get more tired of it. I just don't, this is not not on field numbers. I don't care about it. I mean, it's just not, it's just not my interest, but yeah. uh, You know, I'm sure some of our listeners are very interested in it and, and, you know, you guys, I'm sure uh, may have a little bit more to offer than I do because this is just, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I think it's interesting, but I don't think it's surprising. I think anytime there's a power shift in any business or any activity, it doesn't really matter what it is, you know, uh, it just, you know, it could be someone new makes plans for the group of people like, okay, well, this person is leading us now. It's, it's just different. And, uh, there are going to be reactions to something different. It's a different way of, you know, uh, recruiting and it's harder. Uh, and it kind of levels. I don't think it, I was talking about this, um, with the Welsh, uh, on sports grid this weekend. Um, I don't really think it, this doesn't level the playing field for college football, but it levels the playing field for power five teams, uh, because every college has a donor that is going to, you know, give a ton of money and want it to be spent towards the football team. So, uh, you know, it's not surprising that the people who are doing the old way and succeeding with it are upset about the new way when they're don't seem to be as successful with the new way. So Xavier, I can't wait to hear, uh, what you have to say about, uh, Jimbo and Saban here, because it was, um, you know, this was a huge point over this full weekend. I'm sure, uh, you know, you were on Twitter talking about it. So what are your thoughts about Jimbo and Saban? Yeah, no. Um, Jimbo needs to shut up. This is the second time. The second time that he's done this already. Like, I don't know if the the, the clip went semi-viral. Right you after said Jimbo. Day. Jimbo needs to shut up or Saban yeah, needs to shut no, up? No, no. Jimbo needs to shut up. Okay. He, he's... He, he's the guy with the smoking gun, and he's talking about how he shot the sheriff. Like, stop talking about it. This is the second time that your name has been brought up in this situation, and this is the second time that your response to this has been hostile and, you know, uh, to belittle the entire situation as we didn't pay our players, yet numbers speak loudly. You brought in one five-star or, excuse me, three five-stars in the last four years. Your first year in NIL, you bring in seven. It's not all, be, all of a sudden because people want to be a part of the 12th man. I can guarantee you that much. Um, so, like, I it, no, because Jimbo has been on this tirade for a while now where I guess because he's in the SEC and hasn't succeeded to the levels that he wants to, he's getting a little bit more mouthy because everybody, for, you know, he everybody forgets that he won a national championship at Florida State. No, we didn't, Jimbo. We just don't care right now because it's 2022. We're almost a decade away from your last championship, and you've been in the SEC for the last, what, six years, and you haven't done anything. Sorry. You know, I, I think it was funny after this all kind of came out, people were like, there was a, there was a, a graphic going around of Kevin Sumlin's record at A&M and Jimbo's record at A&M. <laughs> Guess who had the better record? Guess who had the more top five victories? Guess who had the more bowl wins? Sumlin, not you. So how about we focus on your on-field product and stop sitting in front of microphones talking about what, who you didn't and did pay? Because at this point it's NIL. We understand that kids are going to get paid. That's fine. It's just hilarious that two 65-year-old men or 65-plus-year-old men are sitting here having this big old argument. And then, Saban, I'm going to get to you. 
the, the, the <laughs> shot across the bow to Deion Sanders was just so unnecessary. Like, completely unnecessary because we already know that there's very old man rant yeah you know it it, it was a shot across the bow unnecessarily to a guy that you have a pretty good relationship we've seen the commercials i mean they do the aflac commercials together together. you have a pretty good relationship you know uh and then saban as the grandpa that he is tries to call and rectify everything jimbo doesn't pick up the phone dion does you know i i can't wait dion even said though like you know you made your comments yeah. uh, in the media. Your apology should also be in the media, not on exactly. a phone call. Agreed. You know, um, hold his feet to the fire on that one, Dion. I, I 100% agree with you. It's makes It makes, obviously, the A&M Alabama game this year a little bit more fun for the media, obviously, <laughs> to be able to boost this and run these clips back. But, but Jimbo, dude, focus on your on-field production right now because I don't care how many five stars you bring in. If you go eight and four again, nobody's going to care. Like, who nobody's going to give anything if you once again come out there and go nine and three and you end up in the outback bowl. Nobody's gonna care. I promise. And if Saban with this whole situation goes 12 and one and is you know either in the playoff or you know right there on the cusp, everybody's gonna be like, okay, well, Saban, Saban, Jimbo's Jimbo. This whole situation was all for not because at the end of the day, Jimbo. And like I said, he's been a little bit more mouthy this offseason than he has in previous years. Maybe maybe the recruiting has made him a little bit more confident in his product on the field. Your quarterback situation is still dire, my man. Just going to be 100% honest with you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I thought it was funny. I think the funniest part for me as a Georgia fan was all of the memes of us just kind of sitting there watching this play out, holding our national championship. Like, you guys are cute. Um, but, you know, I think this – I think it's – I think the NIL situation as a whole – you're going to get more of this from these older coaches who don't necessarily want to either either one, you're going to get complete buy-in or two, you're going to get them complaining about one another. I will say this though, and Saban is, is perfect for doing this all the time. He complains about a situation and then he uses it better than everybody else. And then all <laughs> of a sudden everybody's like, Oh, Saban brought in 11, five stars this year. And Saban's like, well, I mean, you know, if you can't beat him, join him, and I'm going to beat him too. So I guess I can do both because he did the same thing with the uh, with the transfer situation. He complained about the transfer portal and that guys were going to be, you know, transferring from this school to this school. And then he brings in two of the top, you know, five best transfers in the country. They had one of the best transfer rankings of any team in the country outside of, I think, USC and, uh, and LSU. So Saban is real quick to be the guy who tattletales and then sneakily goes off into his room and does the same exact thing, just 10 times worse. So, I mean, that's the definition of a hypocrite, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I, and I'm not sitting here calling Saban a hypocrite. I don't, I don't really care. I'm, I'm more with Nick as, as to the, uh, I care about what's going on on the field way more than the nonsense off the field. I just think it's funny that Saban, like, come on, like you've had, you've been the most successful coach forever. And you're going to sit here and whine and complain this much uh, about something new happening. So it was just, to me, it was more eye rolling. And then, you know, Jimbo being in a big crybaby was also uh, fairly funny. Like it, it sounded like he was going to break down, you know, uh, in the middle of it. he was so heated. Yeah. Because I don't know what his vendetta is against everybody. That's, you know, speculating that his recruiting may have just been better because he had NIL. It's like, dude, your recruiting up until this point has been just like it's been good, but it's never been this level of good. 
So like, sorry that we're trying to put together, you know, the obvious, which is now kids are getting paid and you bring in one of the best classes of all time, all time. Like not just a great class. You brought in one of the best classes in college football history. Coincidence? Really? Uh, Jimbo Fisher is the uh, he's the gif of Woody Harrelson drying his uh, his tears with hundred dollar bills from Zombieland, you know. So that that's Jimbo Fisher uh, right now. But we did ha have some on field news happening. Of course, the transfer portal is moving and shaking. But the biggest one finally did get settled. Jordan Addison uh, selected USC over Texas, so he will be uh, with the Trojans and Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. Uh, in LA. So uh, Nick, your thoughts on Jordan Addison uh, ending up at USC. It, it wasn't a major surprise. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I believe when we were talking last week, Addison had already announced uh, or, or, you know, it had been reported that it was down to USC and Texas. Um, those made a lot of sense. There were ties to Texas with his former position coach at Pitt, Brendan Marion, who's now at Texas. Um, but USC, of course, has been very, very involved uh, with a lot of high-profile transfers, and and uh, you know Addison obviously being the Bolitnikoff Award winner, highly, highly productive first two seasons um, was going to be highly sought after, and and uh, you know USC has already rebuilt the uh, receiver group quite a bit, brought in you know three or four other transfers, um, and it was a top ten. You know the way that we calculate our, our wide receiver and tight end position strength ratings. It was already a top 10 unit before uh, Addison joined. And, you know, now they're basically, uh, you know, one of the very best in the country. I think they're a percentage point uh, ahead of Texas. It looks like uh, once I rerun these ratings, they'll, they'll, uh, rerun the rankings, I should say, uh, be, you know, a top two receiver group in the country by adding um, a maximum rated player in Jordan Addison, who who has proven, uh, at least by, you know, the award that, that's designed to measure it, to be the best receiver in the country. And so uh, big, big get for USC. Uh, another great weapon for Caleb Williams, who I believe was also, you know, a big reason perhaps why Addison went. He's from Maryland, Williams from DC. There seem to be some connections there uh, as well, but also, you know, just a, an opportunity to uh, go out to uh, LA and, and kind of help rebuild that program. And USC is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure not alone in this, but going to be one of the most fascinating teams in college football just because this was a four and eight team last year and they've been uh perennial underachievers over the last decade or so and uh well i believe espn's updated uh you know early top 25 maybe it was espn but somebody else has usc as a you know top three team now and so uh it's going to be tough because our rankings just aren't going to get there i mean they're definitely a top 25 team according to our numbers. Um, but because, you know, we, we look at team performance and, and weigh that uh, fairly heavily in the, the calculations and they ranked 91st in overall team performance last year. So uh, still have a lot of work to do on defense, but the offense is got the, certainly the potential 
to be one of the best in, in the country. It's certainly one of the most talented units in the country. And now with Jordan Addison, it's, you know, the receiver group, which is probably the biggest question mark at this point, just who's going to be the go-to guy. Um, I think he, you know, certainly answers that question and, you know, should give uh, USC just another great option and what could be a really, really fun offense and a, you know, pretty fascinating team overall. Uh, look, the um, USC, and this has become a big talking point here, Xavier, uh, the transfer portal for USC, just look at their starting lineup. Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Austin Jones, uh, Mario Williams, Jordan Addison, uh, and Bobby Haskins are all listed as starters that, uh, you know, are transfers in this year. So, um, I know some people are getting upset with that. What do you think about this landing spot for Jordan, uh, Addison overall? And what do you think about, uh, the fact that they have so many transfers? I mean, as far as the transfers is, I don't really care for that matter. Like, listen, at the end of the day, these cogs are going to have to be able to work. Like, I think I talked about this with LSU when we're talking about the spring game. Um, You know, the same thing goes for them. Yes, you have as much talent as possible. And yes, we do know that these players have on-field experience within college football. That doesn't mean it's all of a sudden going to click from day one, right? That doesn't mean that they're going to step on the field and Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison are going to be 4,000-yard passers and, you know, 1,500-yard receivers from the day that they step on that field, you know, donning a USC jersey, you know, in their first competitive game. And so, yes, I understand, you know, maybe the complaints about how well they've done in the transfer portal at the end of the day. This is what, you know, this is what was kind of, you know, Pandora's box in a sense. You know, you were able to, you were allowing kids to make decisions for their future. And they're going to go play with in the best situations possible. I don't blame Jordan Addison for going over to USC. He's playing with a guy who might be possibly a number one overall pick at very least could be a top five pick in in his respective draft class. And so why wouldn't you want to go out there and, and, you know, possibly have another 1700 yard season not only that but usc has one of the biggest markets and they're always on television so it also gives you that necessary you know publicity to make you a top 10 top 15 receiver or or, excuse me draft pick in an upcoming uh draft so i don't blame jordan addison at all what i will say is this i think it was funny somebody pointed this out on twitter lincoln riley has one of the best offenses on paper again let's see what that defense looks like Let's see <laughs> if that defense reminds you of Oklahoma's defense by any shape or imagine. You know, you can name all of the, the transfers you want to. I believe 90%, if not 100% of the guys you just named are going to be on one side of the football. That's cool. That's fabulous. Let's see what happens when that defense gets to going. Because if we've learned anything from Lincoln Riley, great offense, puts up 52 points, can also give up 55. Yeah, I mean, there there are starters that are transfers as well. I mean, yeah. Makai Blackman... Uh, Latrell McCutcheon, uh, you, you know, uh, Shane Lee, Eric Gentry, and then a bunch of uh, incoming transfer defensive linemen as well. So there's guys on the defensive side, but that offensive side just seems to be uh, super high powered, which is very, very interesting. Uh, there are other uh, transfer portal news, right? N- none is nearly impactful as Jordan Addison, but Arizona State's leading receiver, Ricky Parasol, announced his commitment to Florida over the weekend. Uh, his teammate, LV Bunkland Shelton, another former starter for the Devils, announced his commitment to Oklahoma, and they had just lost Cody Jackson to Houston last week, so that helps offset that. Another defensive lineman uh, for uh, Arizona State, uh, Jermaine Lowell, is headed to Louisville. So we just talked about how bad that defensive line was last week. 
and they get a transfer in, which is very, very nice. Um, we've also discussed the defensive line as a potential weak spot for Nebraska, but the Cornhuskers continue to address the position to the transfer portal. Uh, former Alabama defensive lineman Stefan Wynn uh, heading over their way. Texas State added a pair of under-the-radar defenders in Ben and Levi Bell. They're these guys are brothers. They were um, the two most productive pass rushers at Louisiana Tech last season. So a big get for them. Um, defensive back Darius Joyner, an All-American at Western Illinois and the FCS leader in tackles for game last season, moved to Duke. West Virginia, which had been a hit hard by outgoing transfers this year, added a potential uh, starter in former Colorado State defensive back Rashad Ajay. Um, Kansas added, uh, has added multiple former FBS starters to its secondary with Purdue's Marvin Grant, Eastern Michigan's Jarrett Paul, who, uh, was previously starting at Rutgers, uh, going to the Jayhawks over the weekend. Georgia Tech lost yet another potential transfer. Um, last week we mentioned Wyoming defensive line lineman Solomon Bird, who had committed to the Yellow Jackets, opted for USC shortly after we recorded. Uh, Tech lost a former, um, excuse me, sorry, my went away here uh uh they lost former memphis uh, uh defensive lineman morris joseph to auburn however former maryland cornerback kenny bennett should add some much needed experience to the jacket secondary following his recent commitment east carolina continues to strengthen its roster through the portal former north carolina 230 pound four-star running back camario edmonds committed to the pirates that's a big get for them and finally temple injected some competition in the qb spot by uh landing former virginia tech and north dakota state quarterback quincy patterson so uh a lot of moving and shaking look the last day for these guys to submit their names to transfer this year was may 1st but i mean is there a deadline to decide nick where they're gonna go or is that just whenever they feel like it they can enroll and go yeah i, I to my knowledge there's not a uh, drop dead date to, you know, sign other than, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have to be uh, enrolled and, and uh, have a class schedule and all that by a certain date. But uh, I think for the most part, it's probably just the sooner the better so that you have enough time to uh, get comfortable, uh, you know, learn right. the playbook, learn new teammates, um, all that good stuff. And, and the closer we get to the season, especially at, you know, some uh, higher profile positions or positions that are just take a little bit more, have a, a steeper learning curve. Um, the closer we get to fall camp, the less likely it is probably, and, and I'm sure there are some exceptions, but uh, seemingly the less likely that somebody's going to come in and make an immediate week one impact. And to this point, I mean, even the the big time names, you know, Pearsall led Arizona state in every receiving category. Um, you know, Lowell was a, a all pack 12 caliber player a couple of years ago, missed last season due to injury. Um, but, uh, you know, really highly rated in, in the way that we uh, do our individual player ratings. A lot of these guys who have experience, um, and are pretty highly rated that you would expect probably have the potential to come in and start right away. For the most part, I'm pretty hesitant in, you know, when we're building our uh, depth chart projections, pretty hesitant even at this point to go ahead and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be a, a starter uh, just because, you know, sometimes it takes time. And, and certainly there are, you know, scenarios where a guy steps onto the practice field in August uh, and it's just 
you can tell like, okay, he's, he's ready. He's the best there is. And uh, he's, he's going to start for us. He's going to play for us right away. Um, but I guess I just take a little bit more of a, a cautious approach and uh, how we do our projections and, and depth charts and, and things like that. Cause for most players, um, it takes takes a little time just to, to get comfortable, to learn a new system, a new playbook. Uh, and then certain positions, you know, that varies. But um, most of these guys, uh, we, we have, you know, as, as twos, basically, on the depth chart. But uh, there are still opportunities. I mean, it seems like every week I get ready to say, okay, you know, we're closing the door on quarterbacks. We're not going to see another quarterback that's going to impact 2022 because it's just going to be too late. Well, uh, here comes Quincy Patterson, who's, you know, pretty intriguing name started, uh, uh, several games at North Dakota state ended up losing his job, um, there toward the end of the year, but you know, has, has certainly, uh, become a productive runner has the ability to, to step in and make some plays, uh, first and foremost, probably on the ground, but, has experience, you know, played some at Virginia Tech, uh, has been productive basically everywhere he's been. And and even though North Dakota State's an FCS school, obviously we know they're, um, you know, the Alabama basically of, of FCS, if not even better, uh, just as, as far as percentage of national championships won in, in recent decades, I guess. Um, but I would expect Temple being one of the, uh, worst rosters basically in, in college football uh, coming into this year and also having a new head coach. That's a situation where somebody might, you know, Mike Patterson be able to come in and uh, certainly carve out a role, if not be the starter. So that one being at the quarterback position is interesting to me. You know, Arizona State losing so many players uh, and guys who were starters, were impact players. It's interesting to look at our projections and and Arizona State has not tanked uh necessarily in in our power rankings or anything like that quite yet they are being propped up because they do still have some highly rated guys uh they do you know they they graded out pretty well in team performance last year they were 22nd nationally um but the depth is just not there i mean they they have basically a pretty solid you know starting lineup, but uh, they have have lost a ton. And, and, you know, based on my looking at it, can basically not afford uh, injuries at, at one of several positions. And then who's going to step up and make plays? I mean, their receiver group is about as thin as it gets in college football. So, um, you know, just some, some things that pop out. Um, the defensive lines, uh, you know, I don't know if – Scott Frost and uh, um, uh, what, what was the other one that we were talking at Louisville, Scott Satterfield. I don't know if, if they're listeners uh, or not. Probably. <laughs> yeah. They probably knew that they're. Just assume that they needed, are, of course. They, they, yeah. they probably knew that they needed some help on, on the defensive line, but, you know, pretty we interesting to see that those them. were, well, yeah. those were two that we, you know, just really kind of stuck out because for Nebraska, it's, you know, hey, they got to get back to a bowl game and probably more um, or Scott Frost is going to be out of there. And, and it was pretty, you know, uh, pretty clear to see that that defensive line was just thin, inexperienced and they've attacked it really hard. 
the last month or so and brought in some quality players. Um, and at Louisville, you know, they, they have some experience, but they were uh, relying on, you know, multiple former walk-ons probably to, to be major contributors and uh, really didn't have much in terms of size, like, you know, the actual big 300 pound plus bodies. Uh, and so getting a guy like Lolo, assuming he's, you know, back to full strength, it's going to be potentially a, a big uh, piece of their puzzle to, you know, Louisville. I've mentioned this before, I think is also a pretty fascinating team. I mean, they are, they, their schedule sits up so well to uh, just, I, I think I've said it this exact way to just ruin somebody's season and could be Clemson could be, you know, uh, NC state. It could be Pitt. I mean, they, they happen to get a lot of the ACC challengers in a pretty advantageous spot on uh, the schedule. Uh, Clemson and NC State, yeah, Pitt and Wake Forest. I mean, they get three of those four at home and in the second half of the season. It, it just, man, it sits up really, really well for them if they can get just a few pieces figured out and the defensive line being the biggest one of those. Uh, they can be a really, really dangerous team. So these might not be the headline grabbers that the Jordan Addison move is, but you know, there's there's somebody maybe on this list that could be the difference between uh, a, a team making a bowl game or not, or you know, making a run at a conference title, or you know, in Kansas's situation, I did go ahead and pencil those two guys in as transfer starters because they've been starters already at the FBS level, and Kansas needed them. So you know, there there are teams on here trying to take that next step, and some of these guys that aren't household names. Uh, could make a big impact as far as them being able to do that. Xavier, your, your thoughts on uh, any of these transfers here? Like Nick said, probably not the sexiest name, but adding depth, adding uh, you know uh, a little bit of an upgrade on a starter, and maybe even pushing a starter because you have brought in uh, a better backup can make an impact on a team. So your thoughts on uh, the most recent group of uh, transfers here? Yeah, I love Ricky Pearsall to Florida. They, that's been a team that hasn't really been able to capitalize on their receiving core for a while now. A lot of underperformers on that receiving core, and this is just me speaking on what not only what I've seen, but what Florida Twitter has definitely been talking about, is that they need better production from their receivers. Why not go get a guy that last year, you know, I won't say exploded, but definitely, you know, he went from six catches, you know, in 86 yards to 48 receptions and 580 yards. So, you know, definitely, you know, put himself in a, in a, in a different class last year for college football receivers. And I think that this is a year, especially with Anthony Richardson as his quarterback, where he's going to use the talent around him. You know, no slight to Emory Jones, but Anthony Richardson's a better passer. And I think that he's going to definitely benefit Pearsall is from having that quarterback play uh, there. I love Quincy Patterson. Going to Temple, uh, this is a team that has dug in the transfer portal a couple of times for for uh, quarterbacks. Obviously, DeJuan Mathis comes to mind, but I think this is a guy who understood that he wasn't necessarily getting the run that he needed at Virginia Tech to become the quarterback he really wanted to. Goes to North Dakota State, and in the you know, and then oh wow, breaking news. Um, and in a uh, sorry, and <laughs> uh, I think got a little bit of a I won't say a rehab, but I think fell in love with football again. 
Um, you know, sometimes when you go and have kind of the run and had the high that he did, you know, going to the Elite 11, uh, being an Elite 11 finalist, then, you know, going off and going to Virginia Tech. And I won't say it was a shock move, but he was kind of committed there before the Elite 11, even though he got all that attention. Uh, this is a smart kid. They talked about it on the show. He's, he's a guy who had, I think, had like a four two, five in high school. Uh, so like, this is a kid who understands, you know, where he needs to go to, to maximize his potential. So I really like that move, not only for him, but also for Temple. Uh, but no, uh, Scott, you have breaking news. So I'm, I'm not going to let you go on this one, seeing as though it involves your ball club. Yeah, I see uh, Tariq Milton has an announced his uh, intention to transfer to Texas. Uh, 15 catches last year, 278 yards and three scores for Iowa State. So a guy with uh, some experience coming over. Um, basically jordan addison right yeah yeah pretty much pretty much same guy that, that we've been talking about here right wow. yeah uh no no I, I was uh i thought it was for sure jordan addison because you know it's news that i hate that it's news but i saw that ag hall had like taken all of his texas stuff down or something off of his instagram or something i don't know that i think i think was a false alarm yeah if if Unless something, because yeah, we haven't heard anything about AG Hall, so you know, <laughs> no, we haven't. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it's one of those things that's annoyingly news that I hate that's news, but it is because this is what players do now. You know, the step one is take everything that has me in the university down off of my social media. It's number, it's the number one thing that they do. So, uh, but but I like mean, Nick hey, mentioned, false alarm. I know you read his uh, his last year stats in Tariq Milton, but 2018, 2019, or 2019 in particular, 35 good. catches, yeah, yeah. 722 yeah. yards. I don't want to build the stereotype, but he's from Florida, so he's got to at least be fast in some respects. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, at the very least, you know, he understands he's played defenses. against the fast players. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he's from Bradenton. I mean, they kind of, you know, they, they breed speed over there. You know, as a coach told me one time that you chase chickens around during their off season, and that's kind of their conditioning. Uh, you know, <laughs> don't know how much that was the case. That was the truth. But when you hear it in high school and you're about to go play a team in Florida, you believe anything you can hear at that point. Uh, but no, I, I mean, at the very least, I think it's not, it's a consolation prize to Jordan Addison. Yes, but he's a productive guy who I think at the very least gives you a stretch player, and I think he could be a, a kick return, punt return guy for you as well. All right. Well, look, the last subject that we have here to, to cover today, we're moving kind of fast for this podcast today, which is surprising me here. But um, it is peak preseason, uh, as we know, uh, where uh, not a lot of crazy stuff is happening. But uh, look, we got um, we got some lines for week one here from Circus Sports. So, uh, Nick, uh, you know, when you take a look at the lines and we know that um you know, if you go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge, we have uh, lines for the entire year on these team profile pages out. So uh, how are the lines comparing? Are you comfortable? Are you uncomfortable? Uh, are these lines even something we should be paying attention to? Because it's only one, you know, place really with them out right now. I mean, uh, what do you think about the lines being out this early? And what do you think about the line specifically versus what we have. So I'm, I'm really happy to have them. Um, and Circa has been, you know, they've, they've been a first to market book on a weekly basis for college football uh, for at least the last few years where, um, you know, Sunday afternoons, uh, they're the first ones that, that uh, post the, the next week's lines. And, 
Um, a lot of people appreciate that, you know, uh, certainly uh, betters want to get a get an early crack at uh, line. So the sooner, the better. Um, there are definitely, uh, you know, these are the, the FBS versus FBS games in both week zero and week one that Circa has posted, uh, not only point spreads, but totals, which is rare because, you know, usually around this time, I think some of them have already trickled out. I just haven't really gone and, and sought them out, but usually we get the, you know, uh, game of the year type lines. And I, I think usually it's around a hundred games total, but it's the big time, you know, big name matchups, P5 versus P5, the Texas versus Oklahoma, Florida, Florida state, uh, you know, Alabama, LSU, all those types of games. Um, we'll get a, a look at early lines and, and usually it's just uh, the point spread and, and, um, uh, you know, I, I've gone through in the past and we've talked about those types of games, but uh, I believe, you know, and I've, I've seen some uh, something to suggest that that these are the earliest week one, week zero lines, uh, maybe in history, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> the, for them to, to go out and, and put out the uh, entire slate of FBS versus FBS games. So I'm happy to have it because, you know, if there were some games where, you know, Hey, it looks like we've got uh, a a much different number. Maybe we've got an edge on this particular matchup. Um, That's an opportunity, but also, you know, more than that, I'm, I'm actually personally not in a rush to go bet any of these. It's more of a uh, research and development type, tool because uh one our our stats model is still under construction it basically uh after last year just tore it completely down total renovation and uh that's that's still ongoing so that's that's the model that we've used for uh, took out a wall put some tile in took out some carpet exactly can you tell i've been watching a lot of uh, hgtv recently (laughs) but uh so so you know, I'm I'm very happy to have these totals because it'll give me a little bit uh, to work with. Just sort of, you know, as I'm doing some final testing and, and things like that, uh, specific to 2022 teams. Um, but also, you know, I went through and and put all the uh, put all the lines in our team profiles at the the very end. If you scroll all the way to the end, uh, we've got a, an ATS database where I track all the games uh throughout the season and was able to go in and and put all these uh week one matchups in there and run them compared to what our current projections are and you know it's uh, there are a lot of differences and and there were some things that jumped out to me there were uh a handful of double digit you know differences in, in our projection and uh what circa has and and that wasn't a shock to me because uh, did some retooling of our official uh, model based on you know the last four years. Always we'll make some, uh, usually some tweaks to to just about everything over the off season. Um, but uh, you know did a little of that this year based on what we've learned not only this past year but the last four years doing this, and uh, noticed that we were tightening things up a bit. Um, especially when it comes to uh, P5 versus G5 matchups. And I'm a little torn about it, looking at how these these line up, 
the vast majority of the matchups where we see a big difference in, in our projection and what Circa's got are those, you know, Alabama versus Utah State when they're a 35-point favorite. Our number, 37-point favorite, I should say. Uh, our number just can't get that high right now. And and partly, Utah State, you know, they're a, they're a conference championship team. Bring back their quarterback. Bring back a lot of uh, Got a couple thousand-dollar bets for Natty already. That's so. right. Uh, but, you know, partly it's, it's our number's kind of like Utah State. Uh, but it's also that's a lot, you know, that's a, that's a big number, 37, uh, 38, you know, Minnesota is a 38 point favorite against New Mexico state. New Mexico state is what? 130th, uh, in our power rankings out of, out of 131 FBS teams. So you would expect that there'll be a heavy underdog against the power five team. Minnesota, you know, is, is probably going to be a good team. Uh, actually New Mexico state's dead last 131st right now. Um, but, you know, Minnesota is also far from dominant. They lost to Bowling Green uh, last year. So I was yeah. not shocked to to see that we only have Minnesota as about a 27-point favorite. But that's a big gap. I mean, on a weekly basis when we talk about these uh, throughout the course of the season, and I, you know, see one where our, our projected point spread is 11.5 points lower than what the odds makers have, one, it makes me think, uh, you know, what, what I would rather it made me think was, oh, you know, we we know something they don't know. But what <laughs> is actually more correct more often than not is, ooh, something might be a little off on our end. And so I'm, I'm wondering, now that I have a chance to look at a full week's worth, you know, plus of uh, point spreads from, from, you know, a solid – uh, a group of odds makers, a solid uh, sports book. I can go through and say, okay, you know, perhaps early in the season, we're going to need to be pretty cautious, especially on these, uh, you know, P5 versus G5 matchups, just because in, unless we truly believe that an underdog is uh, going to be able to keep it close or is a little underrated or, or, you know, a, uh, uh, particular power five program maybe is overrated just because of the brand name or, or what have you. Um, those are, those are the matchups that I, I feel like right now are a little off and I might do, I might do some more tweaks based on this information to, you know, see if I can calibrate it a, a little bit better uh, to give us a little bit more of a chance because, you know, we do see a lot of blowouts traditionally in, in week one uh, where teams are, just overmatched and um, there certainly, you know, are some scares and there are some upsets, but uh, right now, 36 of the 53 games that we have an opportunity to, to sort of uh, compare our projections to what Circa has, uh, we're on the underdog and that's too many. I mean, you know, I, I won't say that we want to be 50% every week, but I probably would rather be closer to 50% than, you know, what is this? Seventy percent, basically. Um, so that's that's a little bit of a, a concern. Um, I I have noticed that in the big Power Five brand name matchups, uh, there's only about what a dozen of those. The our numbers are much much tighter. So I do feel pretty good about that. 
Um, most of most of these are within two points. Two or three of them are within, uh, you know, uh, right around five points. And, and the of any Power Five versus Power Five matchup, the biggest difference we have is uh, we have LSU as about a seven and a half point favorite, where Circa has LSU favored by two on a neutral field against Florida State. So we're a little higher than most on LSU. We've already talked about that, uh, but you know. To be five and a half points off, not ideal. We would prefer to be within three points on average. Uh, and, you know, right now we're at 5.7 on these. Uh, so I, I don't love that. But, you know, for that power five versus power five matchup, at least the ones that we've got uh, here available to us in week one, I do feel decent about, about those. And then weekly, uh, lastly for me, we'll – uh, you know, we, we always look for, is the wrong team favored? And we only have three of those, which is about what we would expect on a given week, uh, three or, or fewer. And, you know, two of these are, are, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe they are all a little unexpected. Uh, we actually have Hawaii favored at home against Vanderbilt. Uh, Circa has Vanderbilt as a seven point favorite. Uh, so that's a big, big difference in ours and i don't i don't love it because even though i don't think vanderbilt is is that great i do think hawaii probably right now has the worst defense in the country uh and vanderbilt you know might be on the upswing a little bit in year two under clark lee the second one we actually uh have appalachian state favored over north carolina i i don't necessarily love that but north carolina you know, we've talked before, potentially a uh, little overrated. At least they were last year. We kind of had that right. Maybe we'll get the opposite effect where we're too low on them this year. But uh, Appalachian State does have a history of playing pretty well against Power 5 opponents. Uh, and then Cincinnati against Arkansas. We do have Cincinnati as about a half-point favorite where Circa has Arkansas favored by a touchdown. I don't love that because of the just total turnover um, that Cincinnati is has – endured and, and all the draft picks that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I do feel a little like uh, some folks out there might be uh, maybe too high on Arkansas. So um, maybe it's, you know, I, I, I think I would prefer if we had Arkansas favored, but still would feel pretty good if it were, you know, a field goal or, or something like that. Um, but anyway, so we've, we've got plenty of time, obviously to uh, one, you know, do a little work to make sure that our numbers are as good as they can be. Um, now that we know a little bit of an idea of, of what odds makers have on some of these and, and then the market, we'll see some adjustments as well. Um, but two, you know, plenty of, plenty of time to dig into uh, the, the individual position matchups and, you know, Florida versus Utah and Ohio state versus Notre Dame all that, but uh, I'm I'm glad that we've got uh, this to work with. You know, I, I like having the information, and uh, it'll it'll be fun to dig into it uh, a little bit more over the next few months as as we uh, you know have some time to kill and prepare for uh, the actual games to kick off in week zero and week one. Yeah, it's tough going in blind. So you like to have something. I, you know, do my IDP rankings and I always kind of, uh, I, I do them first before, uh, cause this is just how it relates to me. Cause I've been writing up the black book stuff. Um, you know, 
I did all my IDP rankings and I'm like, all right, I got to go make sure I'm not crazy. And I'm like, so I, I went to go see if I'm like missing anyone or if uh, I was too high or too low. And I'm looking at some of the other rankings and I was kind of like with you, like, Ooh, do I have this guy just way too far down here? Way too high. Um, I think with most of those, I decide that uh, I'm right and everyone else is crazy. R whether that turns out uh, good for me or not is probably down the middle, you know, uh, well, of 50, 50, but you just have to kind of, it, it, it's nice to at least bounce, uh, you know, your idea off someone else. So, right. Um, and, and you don't want to be the same as everybody else, whether it's for sure. you know, rankings for fantasy or our projections. I mean, it wouldn't, uh, what value would we bring to, to anyone if uh, like, oh yeah, our projections are within uh, half a point of, of uh, the odds makers week after week after week. Well, that doesn't do anybody any good right so you know we do want to show a little bit of difference because we want to show some value we want to you know be able to to pick out a handful of games or teams or, or what have you that are you know okay we actually think we have a little bit better read on this particular game there's some value there we have an edge on this one you know we, we certainly want to do that but we shouldn't have a ton of them and there shouldn't be you know a dozen games where our our projection is 10 points off so uh, i do want to make sure you know we want to be close uh just to to show that our methodology is you know in the ballpark is is on the right track but we don't want to be identical either so um it's a you know it can be a struggle sometimes you want to be a little bit different but you don't want to be uh too far out <laughs> to where it just doesn't make much sense don't want to be too much of a uh uh contrarian i guess right exactly xavier when you look at these lines uh coming out from circa this early is, are there any that stand out to you any that you, you think you know like uh when we look through the numbers and see if you winning edge maybe the wrong team is favored or this line is way too big way too small obviously these lines are going to change it's may you know these lines are going to yeah. change we're going to have injuries we're going to have transfers we're going to have uh, all kinds of wackiness go on uh, between now and the, the actual start of these games. Uh, but what do you think from the numbers that have been put uh, out for us so far? Yeah, I'll be the contrary on the podcast. So you got you guys are good. I, I, I got you there. Uh, first things first, the first thing I see is I got West Virginia favorite over Pittsburgh. Um, yes, maybe that might be due to the recent transfers. JT Daniels going to West Virginia, Jordan Addison leaving Pittsburgh. But I think that's one that immediately piqued my interest. Uh, Penn State only a four-point favorite over Purdue. I found interesting, uh, very interesting. Uh, if, if for only, you know, the reason as, you know, uh, Penn State, in my opinion, is actually going to be a little bit more competitive and better than they were last year, in my opinion, uh, than they were this past year. Uh, and I'm not so sure Purdue is going to be any better than they were last season. Um I think Nick said one that I really liked, uh, but it just can't. Oh, Cincinnati. I was terrified looking at only Arkansas by seven. Um, with, with the amount of turnover that has happened with uh, with Cincinnati, I'm thinking that game might be very ugly. Um, and and minus seven might not be, you know, it's not giving Arkansas enough uh, due diligence in that one. Uh, Clemson, <laughs> this is just me being mean, uh, but Clemson only by 18 against Georgia Tech. You got to be kidding me. I will be surprised if Georgia Tech puts up more than seven points in this ballgame. Like, genuinely speaking, I don't care all of Clemson's 
uh, offseason, uh, not offseason, but offensive woes with DJ Uyunglele and all that situation. Georgia Tech is barely able to field a team at this point, it feels like, with all the people that are transferring from their school. And unless Jeff Sims puts on his best Michael Vick impression, I don't see them even scoring a touchdown in this game. So Clemson by more than 18, I'm taking that one. Um, and then lastly, I think, oh, and this, once again, this is just me being a homer. Georgia State by uh, South Carolina minus 13 to Georgia State. Eventually, somebody's going to learn that when we, when we play the SEC, don't bet more than two touchdowns. I said it with Auburn. It happened with Tennessee. We've covered both of those games. right? <laughs> Somebody at some point is going to just stop putting a two-touchdown favorite or almost two-touchdown favorite when it comes to Georgia State, especially first game of the season. Sean Elliott's a former uh, you know, assistant and was an interim head coach at South Carolina. You know, this is gonna be this is this is gonna be a closer game than what people are giving it credit for. Georgia State has one of the highest returning production ratings in football, and I know South Carolina added uh, Spencer Rattler, but we've seen good Spencer and bad Spencer. Which one shows up on that Saturday? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> um, last but not least, and this is just because I, I think they're being trying to be fair to Notre Dame here, but let's be honest: Ohio State by only fourteen against Notre Dame. I even think is a little bit low. I think that's a game that's 21, 24 points that Ohio State can win that game by. I understand Notre Dame defensively, even though losing Kyle Hamilton is going to be a big loss, hasn't lost too much production on that side of the football. However, Notre Dame was a team, was a team last year that struggled to score points against good defenses. I'm not even sure that they'll be able to put up over maybe 21 points max. But Ohio State's offense, I understand that they lost all those receivers, but they're bringing back the guy who actually led them in total yards, which was Jackson Smith and Jigba. They bring back Marvin Harrison Jr. They bring back so many guys that are going to be, you know, draft darlings from week number three. So, like, I genuinely don't think that C.J. Stroud takes a step back whatsoever in that game. And I think it's going to be a route, especially if this game is at Ohio State. And I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm pretty positive it is. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a game that ends up in a route, especially Ohio State loves that first game of the year to make a statement. They always do it unless they're playing Oklahoma. Mm, or was Oregon week two well, last year? Well, Oregon week, week two, two last year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they had Indiana week one, if I'm not mistaken, and they blew the doors off of them. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's right. Minnesota yeah. this past year. But yeah, yeah, Indiana yeah, two yeah. years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. didn't uh, didn't Ibrahim go down in yep. that first game? Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, oh, and then it became God. a boat race. So yeah. Um, I, I mean, all right, we're at under an hour. Right. Um, <laughs> well, we're not no. done just yet. Do we just need, do we just need filler? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Are we filibustering? I mean, what are we doing for two more minutes? Yeah, well, is... I do want to. I do want to say these. Yes. All these uh, projections are just our uh, team strength power ratings, um, and so they, as you mentioned, they will change. We talk a lot about all the transfer, you know, decisions we make. Uh, any position battles that play themselves out these will change um so you know i i i don't necessarily expect to make any major changes to the the calculations because you know did a lot of did a lot of research did a lot of work on it uh in december and january and and there's a reason why uh you know these these were spit out the way they were i think i just might I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. We'll get into it a little bit. I'm I'm wondering um, if the team performance weight, the 
like three-year weighted team performance weight is maybe a little too high. I think I, I turned the knob up on it a little bit. And that that probably has something to do with you know Cincinnati being favored. Um, UTEP, actually, I, I just realized I had UTEP uh, favored when North Texas is a one-point favorite. So we actually have four of those now. But UTEP coming off a you know pretty strong season for them, but not a whole lot of a uh, not a whole lot of history backing it up. You know, so so it's a situation where were they a one-year wonder type thing? Are we weighing too much of, of last year's results kind of thing. I, I, as I mentioned, we'll dig into uh, these a little bit more in the coming months, but um, yeah, anyway, so these are just one set of projections. We do also have our talent edge projections that are in the team profiles. And then I mentioned that stats only model um, is in the works and will be available later this summer. Uh, Still have to do some more testing and, and building on it, but um, this is just one little piece of the puzzle and, you know, plenty, plenty of time for things to change and hopefully get a little tighter, uh, in these, you know, P5 versus G5 matchups, but not too tight as we you know, discussed already that, that we don't want to be exactly the same, but don't necessarily want a handful of games <laughs> where we think that things are going to be two touchdowns different. That, that's, that's not good. And there it is. We are officially over an hour now. So Nick uh, did a perfect job uh, of getting us there. Um, you know, th- this was uh, I- interesting. I mean, the biggest news was really not, you know, because Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher is interesting. It's not really news. You know, no. it's just stuff. Yeah, everybody's happens. probably heard plenty about it. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, but no, it's it definitely right news. after we Yeah, no, but it, it's definitely news, especially what 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 makes that situation ex- excruciatingly painful is if for some reason Alabama blows the doors off of AM come week eight this year. Um and you know even up by 24 Bryce Young throws a 65 yard touchdown pass. And then you just gonna you're just gonna get the the Saban stare down at Jimbo like yeah Remember whose place you're in, and that, that's just. It, that, I mean, th- th- that game more than any other game has now been circled for reasons that have no actual reasons for on-field production whatsoever. Like that game has just been circled now. It was well, already look, circled. A and M, A and M snapped the Bama streak last year too. So there's a little animosity. This is what happens when you play a team every year. You know, you have growing animosity towards them. So I. I like I like a new rivalry. That's what I like about this. Like, you know, it's um, you know, it's getting contentious between these schools, which is fun. And, you know, you never want to see it go a little bit overboard uh to, you know, disrespectful comments because that stuff is just childish and eye-rolling and all that. But it's also fun. Uh it's I don't it's yeah. fun to yeah. see these old men yeah. talking smack to each other. And I mean, I don't think it'll be a lot of fun uh for AM. Uh, you know, c- come game time, I think it'll probably be Bama by forty. It's you know, Brian um, as well. Right, yeah. exactly. So I got us to an hour. You guys are going to get us to one hundred and five. An hour and a half. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I got a, anyway. I got a lot of text messages. No, no, no. We, we, we've thing. got we we've got plenty more coming. We will be back <laughs> next week. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter as usual at Bogman Sports for myself at CFP Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. 
We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.